This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Runners up the corners. Listen to this crowd. The 1-0 pitch to Gallo. Breaking ball. Swung on. Head high. Deep right field. Hanniger giving chase in the corner. Reach it up. Can't get it. Almost the same place where Kelnick hit his home run. This is a three-run shot in the Yankees. Are back in front, five to three. Hello. Wow, that sounded awful. And welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Friday. Friday. Got to get down on Friday, August 6th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant. You just heard the call. Ugh. The Seattle Mariners were admirable in their efforts against the New York Yankees last night. Admirable, but, you know, we probably are past that, aren't we? Do we see the Mariners go up against a team that they are playing against in the wild card race and actually accept them losing? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Keyword, we shouldn't. But here I am, feeling dirty. Because while I am upset that the Mariners lost to the Yankees, who I cannot stand, 5-3 last night. I think I might be more happy that Jared Kelnick went two for three at Yankee Stadium with a home run, forcing a walk in the ninth inning, doing some Matrix-esque dodging, going from second base to third base in the ninth inning to keep the Mariners' rally alive. I, I think I'm happier about that than I'm upset about the loss. And look, there are some signs in the loss that weren't great. I mean, Paul Seawald, your best reliever, he comes in and he didn't do so well. You know, you heard the Joey Gallo home run to that very, very short porch in right field, which, of course, Jared Kelnick took advantage of, too. I feel like I've taken a couple of shots of loser juice. What's wrong with me? I mean, why why am I more happy about Jared Kelnick getting a home run in this game? Here's why. This is a guy who has been marked by his confidence to this point in his career, from what we know about him. Or maybe temper tantrums if you are somebody who is not exactly the biggest fan of Jared Kelnick out there. Kelnick, to me, is someone that I feel like will ride the highest of highs, assuming that he is able to make things happen on the biggest of stages. And while I hate to say it, the Bronx is the biggest of stages in baseball. It is. Maybe not to us on the outside looking in, but I think for any baseball player who grows up thinking that they might have a chance to make it into the major leagues, you are thinking about either playing in the World Series or playing in one of the most famed ballparks that there is. And obviously this is not the old Yankee Stadium, but it's still Yankee Stadium. It's still the New York Yankees. It's still the 27-time champs. I think this is going to be big for Jared Kelnick. A big step forward was made last night. He got a home run, a go-ahead home run. You know, think about that. It's the seventh inning. It's late in the game. Were you expecting Jared Kelnick to hit a go-ahead home run? I know I was not. Even with him hitting a little bit better recently, I did not feel that way. And yet, there he was doing something that was clutch. That's huge. I hope it carries forward, but I'm really excited with what Jared Kelnick was able to do. Here is that home run. Here's a pitch swung on, driven deep to right. Got some carry. Gone. A home run, Jared Keldick. 
and the Mariners have a 3-2 lead. A Yankee Stadium classic home run. It's 314 to the line. In at about 317, cha-ching. 3-2 Mariners at the stadium. 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. Am I the only person that's okay with last night because Jared Kalnick hit a clutch home run? You can text that in. Right now we're just getting a bunch of, <laughs> I think, roasts of the voice. Uh, it's the allergies, guys. I know a lot of people think that I'm you know, heading out on the town and stuff. Sadly, that is not the case. I wish that's something that took place. I got Alexa in the background yelling at me all of a sudden, too. Text, you sound like Gilbert Gottfried's normal voice. I don't know if I'm quite that far, because there's definitely a high-pitched nature to Gilbert Gottfried, who also played, of course, Iago and Aladdin. Uh, did you guys hire Jim Rome? I could do the staccato pace that Jim Rome does, maybe. Uh, hungover Papa Smurf. I haven't watched the Smurf, so I honestly don't know about that. Text in, 710-710. Here we go. Here is the person that we are looking for here. Because I honestly want you to slap me and bring me back into the light. Paul, stop making excuses. This is why I cannot stand you guys when it comes to sports. Sometimes you guys will make endless excuses on this team. Face it, this team is not built to win against premier baseball teams. The Mariners are cheap. Pause for a second. Well, of course they're not built to beat the best baseball teams. They're still in the midst of a rebuild. I know it's been a while, but that's a valid excuse. They're taking steps in the right direction. The loss last night, it's not good. Like, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I am still upset about the loss, but I think I'm more happy that Jared Kelman got the home run than I'm upset about the loss. 710-710 in the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Kelman's development will outweigh anything that happens this year, short of making the playoffs. I, right now, am of the same belief. If this guy is the prince who was promised, if you will, then... He's got to keep up what he just did last night. I think the rest of the way, and this is going to be, I think, really good for him confidence-wise the rest of the season. I'm Paul Galan. It's the Paul Galan Show. You can watch at 710sports.com slash video. You can see me in my home apartment. You can see my cat running around in the background. Uh, You can also listen on your Alexa or on your smart speaker 710 app as well. So I also want to talk about the Seahawks. I'm going to go. Be, I'm going to go back out to Seahawks training camp today. Hopefully, the allergies will uh, not destroy my voice any further than they've already destroyed them, where I now sound like that uh, Ma from the Goonies. But I want to take a look at something that I've been noticing over the last couple of days of practice for the Seahawks. I feel like when Chris Carson's been out there, it's been just so obvious how much better he is than all the other Seahawks running backs. And I think we all know that Chris Carson's really good. But last year, I remember thinking often, man, he wasn't on the field that much. Why? Why wasn't he on the field that much? I must be wrong, though. I mean, he was on the field. The Seahawks were just throwing the football a whole lot down the stretch. And he was injured a couple of games. I looked at the statistics, and of course his statistics, we all know that compared to the year before, 2019, where he looked awesome, statistically and on the field, too, when he was healthy, they were down. So I did a little further digging. And I decided to compare Chris Carson to other running backs in the NFL based off of the amount of time, the the amount of plays that they were on the field, their snap percentage, and the amount of times that between targets, passes thrown their way, and carries, how many times this guy was giving the ball, getting the ball. 
Chris Carson, compared to the best running backs in the NFL, he is well behind them in terms of the amount of time that he plays on the field and on top of that, the amount of times that he actually has the ball put in his hands. And look, I understand there's something to that. Chris Carson is somebody who has dealt with a lot of injuries. Last year, he dealt with a foot injury for, for the second half of the season. It, it cost him four games. And in early on, remember, he suffered that sprained knee against Miami where it looked like someone was trying to rip his leg off like an alligator. So there are reasons that you want to, I think, be really careful with how you use Chris Carson to make sure that he's actually playing for you in the playoffs the way he wasn't for the Seahawks in the 2019 season against the Eagles and against the Packers. I really feel like things might have gone differently had Chris Carson been on the field for that game against Green Bay, but that's neither here nor there. Chris Carson compared to a running back like, say, Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry. Those guys are getting 69% of the snaps, 66% of the snaps. They are on the field for their respective teams. Chris Carson was on the field 38% of the snaps last year when he was available for the Seahawks. I'm not just talking about the games where he was injured and he couldn't play. We're talking 38% in the 12 games that he played last season. And then on top of that, okay, over the course of the year, if you take a look at the numbers he had, he only had the ball come his way 15 times a game. And that compared to guys like Derrick Henry, who were getting it 26 times a game, Dalvin Cook, 26 times a game. It's significantly less. And I'm not asking for them to give him like a 40-carry workload or something like that. I just feel like the Seahawks... They know he's the best running back there. And while they want to spell him and all these things, they should use him more because he's better. He's better than Rashad Penny. And especially based off of what I'm seeing right now. Rashad Penny might be still shaking off cobwebs. I know some people have been seeing some good things out of Penny. I, I, I feel like there's still, there's still something missing. And I think that when you look at Carson on the field versus Penny on the field, there's a vast difference. So I want to see more Chris Carson this season. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Continue those roasts of my voice. Some people actually think it's an upgrade. In fact, uh, way too many people <laughs> think it's an upgrade. Right now, it is 1010. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. But right now, it's time for What's Trending with Maura Dooley, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. What's up, Maura? How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Are you hanging uh, in there? I'm hanging in there. I have uh, I've used the neti pot twice this morning. Used it right before the start of this show. You're actually getting I can't... some positive reviews. I know, I know. I don't know if that's good. I think they like the volume control that it provides. Yeah, that's that's the big thing right now. Uh, <laughs> whatever's going on with the allergies, it has found a way to moderate the volume of my voice, which I do not have much control over. And I apologize all the time for it. I try to work on it, but yeah, I'm just an excitable fellow. <laughs> Text well, in, this... someone take the clothespin off Paul's nose. Yep. <laughs> well, this wasn't one of my original trending stories, but we did have a little breaking news as the show started. The Bills yes. and Josh Allen have agreed to terms on a six-year extension through 2028. It's worth $258 million, including 150 guaranteed. Wow. Well, good for Josh Allen. It's incredible what one year can get you. I would warn anyone giving a quarterback a big time contract after one really good season great season even it's something to be wary of we saw it with Jared Goff we saw it with Carson Wentz both of those guys are on other teams right now now I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen with Josh Allen I think Josh Allen really significantly improved last season but I also think that he has to prove that he can do it during a season where there's going to be fans in the stands. Whatever the case, 
I mean, we saw him against Seattle, and he, he tore he tore him up. He carved him up. His mobility, his size. There's a lot of things that he has working in his favor, and now that he's got Stephon Diggs as his number one wide receiver too, it stands to reason that he's going to have Buffalo as the second best team in the NFL this coming season. I think Cleveland, or excuse me, in the AFC, I think Cleveland's the only other team that can p- perhaps have a say in that. But good for him. That's a hell of a deal. All right, next up, Aaron Levine of Q13 interviewed Russell Wilson yesterday and asked if any of the offseason trade speculation surrounding him was warranted. This is Russell's answer, I guess you could call it. I, I think that, listen, it, it, I play professional sports, man. I, you know, the reality is, is that things change, you know, and all that. And, and I think that um, there, there's some calls going around this and that. And I think that the reality is, is that, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to be here. The reality is this and that. The reality is he's good at dodging them. He's good at dodging those questions. And hopefully he's going to be as good as he's going to be as good at dodging defenders as he is at dodging those questions. I don't have a problem with it. You know, he's he's not going to give you what he's honestly feeling. And neither is Pete Carroll, for that matter. They're they're all keeping things close to the vest. They're actually protecting the team now. I really do hope this is in the rearview mirror. And I'm hoping also today that the Seahawks offense can bounce back. It was a rough day on Wednesday. I will be out there at training camp later this afternoon. It wasn't a good day. I mean, they really had some issues when it came to just basics, snap exchanges, handoffs, stuff like that. Like, those are things that you should be a little bit better at. Now, it is early in training camp, so it's not to act like you're going to be perfect at this point. And I think this is an opportunity for them going forward. But, man, he... He loves that word, the reality. The reality is the reality. The reality is reality. But what is reality, if not reality? Now I sound like a a philosopher. I used to take a philosophy class, (laughs) and I fell asleep every single one. I hated philosophy class. It's not good, Maura. It's not good. I I, I remember, too, that classroom that I had. It was, like, the warmest one. It was January's in Syracuse, New York, so it's freezing. And every single class I would... This is the only class I ever fell asleep in. I would wake up with my head on the desk and I felt so bad I felt bad for the professor like it, w- it wasn't the professor's fault I think it was just the room the room was just so warm well, what I didn't understand was that I felt like I, what was being explained to me was that everything's open to interpretation and you can pretty much decide whatever you want to be reality if you want to talk like that yeah uh, but yeah. then I would get a bad grade on a test and I'm like well I, that doesn't make any sense this is not part of my reality <laughs> this is nonsense <laughs> All right, 710-710, that's the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. The question of today's show, we're going to leave two on the table. Do you want the Seahawks to involve Chris Carson more this season, or do you feel like the Seahawks offense, its best interest is to make sure that it's passing game and giving equal carries to Chris Carson and Rashad Penny's the way to go? Also, how wrong am I for being... Happier that Jared Kelnick homered at Yankee Stadium in the seventh inning to give the Mariners a lead than I am upset about the Mariners blowing a lead thanks to a rough performance by Paul Seawald. You get to answer those seven ten seven ten on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, and it is your chance to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard every day at ten fifteen with Paul Gallant. Be. Her. Her. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. 
man, this is so bad. There's so many people that are com- that are complimenting my voice with the way that it sounds right now compared to normal. Oh well. Um, text in. Paul Russell tried to or- execute Order 66 and failed. Order 66, for those who don't know, who aren't nerds like myself, is the point in Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, when basically all the Jedi get stabbed in the back. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if he went quite that far. I, I think he flexed. I think he flexed a lot. And he thought that by flexing, that maybe he would get a little bit more say. I, I don't really know that he wanted out this offseason. I mean, I feel like his agent maybe more so was pushing that. And while I know that it's, you know, frustrating to read those and to see how Russell kind of handled it, because I feel like he could have diffused it. But I, I, I think really strongly about this. I, I don't think Russ has ever wanted to be the bad guy. And I don't, th- I, I don't think that he wanted things to get to the point that they did. I think he thought he was going to be able to somehow get a little bit more say in the organization operating the way that he did this offseason. Clearly, that's not the case. I don't know what that means going forward. And honestly, I don't even know if he should have a little bit more input, a little bit more say. So um, there you go. 710-710, that's the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Text sign, Paul, are you okay? I'm worried. You sound like you're dying. No, it's just allergies, guys. It's just allergies. Sounds like Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street. (laughs) Mrs. Mac from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's a great one. Text in, give equal carries to both of them. We're talking about Chris Carson. We're talking about Rashad Penny. And let the leader best emerge out of their production. But here's the thing, though, guys, and, and I'm basing this off of what I have seen at training camp, which I have been out at. I don't know why that one texter is saying that somebody at our station has said I have not gone out there. I've been out there every day. Um, I would say that when I look at Carson, I see a guy that's just significantly better than Rashad Penny right now. Now, you know, a couple of years ago, I feel like they were on a level playing field. But Penny's coming back from a torn ACL that he suffered late in the 2019 season, and he wasn't 100% back by the end of last year. And honestly, if you listen to Pete Carroll's press conference the other day, you know, when he was talking about the running backs that he had, he was pretty, I think, clear when it came to Rashad Penny. Penny's got to prove himself. Penny has to make it known that he can be just as big of a playmaker as Chris Carson, he's a first-round pick. There's a reason that they took him. They felt like he could be that guy. And honestly, I am not. I am not waving the white flag on him by any means. I am not calling him a bust. I would not do that with that, that guy. I feel like he showed that he can play at this level. But whatever the case, he's got to bounce back from this knee injury. And I think right now, there's still some cobwebs out there. Carson is like dancing back and forth, back and forth. I think he's probably the healthiest he's been in a really long time. And honestly, I want the Seahawks to keep it that way. So in the rest of training camp, honestly, if they could you know, put the uh, old tarp over the car, I'd be totally cool with that. But when I see Chris Carson out there, I see a guy that I think is special. And that Seattle used him to the degree that they used him last year, it's, it's surprising just to see it numerically. I mean, I would have thought for sure that he would have been on the field in the games that he was available half the plays or something. You know, because he's he's your best running back. Even And especially last year, I mean, look, Carlos Hyde is a guy who I think was a pretty adequate uh, backup. But Carson, compared to him, significantly better. And, yeah, dealing with some injuries, no doubt about it. So maybe the Seahawks were just constantly managing him throughout the year. And I'm hoping that's the case. You know, because he had the knee injury, the sprained knee against the Dolphins, and he had a toe injury that he was dealing with, I think, from week seven on the rest of the way. 
that caused him to miss four games. But this is a guy, Carson, who I feel like the Seahawks are just so much better when he's on the field. He's not just a running back. He can catch the football. He can jump over guys. He can stiff arm guys. He can run through guys. And he can he can juke guys. He is he has a really impressive skill set for running backs. And I, not many guys are that versatile the way that Chris Carson is. And, you know, if you got someone like that who's also going to confuse defenses when he's on the field because you don't know what's going to happen, that makes the Seahawks better. So that's what I'm hoping for this coming season. We will see if that actually happens. <laughs> 710, 710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text. Like, growing up, we always used to tell people it was just allergies, too. And <laughs> didn't convince them back then either. Oh, come on. Seriously. I mean, I even got tested because I wasn't 100% sure what was going on. Negative. Text in 710, 710. Hand the ball to Carson. It complements our tight end group. And Russ is amazing off play action. Plus, wide receiver three is a question mark. It does seem like Freddie Swain's the front runner there at wide receiver three. And I feel like with Freddie, you've got a guy who can do a lot of different things and also has proven that he can play. So I'm bummed about the Dwayne Eskridge slowness to getting on the field. Like, I'm really hoping that he's going to be out there sooner rather than later. And I guess that the Seahawks have been working on something that would help him out in his foot. But with what we saw from Freddie Swain last year, I don't think it's crazy to envision him taking a year one two-year, two-jump, which is where wide receivers typically make their biggest strides to the same degree that we've seen, you know, maybe getting up to the same level as a David Moore. Now, David Moore is really athletically gifted, and I don't know if Freddie Swain necessarily has that. But if you're out there, just look at the way at training camp, look at the way that the other wide receivers and also players on the other side of the field seem to be deferential to Freddie Swain. He seems to have earned respect from his teammates in the locker room and on the field. And, and for whatever that's worth, it, it does feel like they really like him out there. So I think Swain's the guy at wide receiver three. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Why haven't the Seahawks gotten Chris Carson more involved in the past? And what have what has the linebacker, Dave Wyman, been seeing that I haven't out at Seahawks training camp? We'll talk with him next. It's 10.30, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're to fail. With Paul Gallant. Dave Wyman's here. Dave, do you recognize my voice? Yes, I do. Oh, you do? Okay, cool. Someone does. What's wrong? Professor- you got a cold John- or something? Uh, allergies. Though most texters believe it's something else. Most texters believe I'm a degenerate, I guess. Sadly, uh, that is not the case. This is just a rad case of allergies. So, Dave, yeah, I... You know, now that they mention it, it does kind of sound like a hangover voice, just a little <laughs> bit, but that's okay. <laughs> Dave, I was just looking at... No, it's fine. Dave, the last couple of days at training camp, you know, I, I, I've really... Wanted to see, I guess, a little bit more out of Rashad Penny, and I've really liked what I've seen out of Chris Carson the one day that he was out there. I feel like there's a big gap between the two of them, and I just started thinking about last year where 
Chris Carson obviously dealt with a lot of injuries, and he played through them. I don't know how he came back from the sprained knee that he had against Miami and played the next week, and he also had the toe injury that kept him out for four games, but he was dealing with it the rest of the season when he came back in. So they were probably managing his touches. But I I was really surprised to see, just compared to the rest of the running backs in the NFL, how he wasn't on the field that much. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, they're – playing 69%, 66% of snaps. Chris Carson was only playing like 38% of snaps. And as far as, you know, the amount of handoffs and the amount of throws their way, uh, Chris Carson was getting about 15 and a half compared to Henry and Dalvin Cook, who are getting 26 apiece. I'd like to see the Seahawks use Chris Carson more. Do you think that they will end up doing that this season as opposed to the way that they used him where they seem to be managing him extra last year? Yeah, I do. I think that's going to be part of the offense, too. And uh, I'll tell you, there's another, it's kind of funny, because when Mara told me, you know, you want to talk about Chris Carson, I was thinking it's kind of in the same category as Will Disley. And, you know, it could be any running back or any tight end, but I think in this offense, they're going to get targeted a lot more also, as far as throws. But yeah, yeah, I would love to see Chris Carson get the ball more. I think, you know, they were trying to manage his his load you know because he he just he has a tendency to get hurt he's just one of those guys that is going to play in a manner that you get hurt just that's just the way he is that's that's kind of his uh his style of play but yeah i think they're going to be there's going to be more involvement um i I would like to see whenever you know pete talks about the one-two punch i'm just i'm like i just want to see carson get the ball yeah, I think I think he's one of the the better players in the league, and I think he, you know he could have like a breakout year. It's just a matter of health. I'm looking at you know the four games that he missed in the middle of the season, you know, and that had to have been tough for him to kind of stop and start and stop. You know, so anyway, I I, I like Chris Carson. I've always been a huge fan. I think he's one of the better football players on this team, and I think also they're going to get him the ball by throwing it to him because those are easy throws. So if you're a running back. They hand you the ball in the box, right, where there's, you know, 10, 12 guys. Would you rather have it there or out in the flat where there's like a corner and maybe a safety or something and lots of space, you know? And I think he's one of those guys that can make people miss. So I think they're going to use him in that way and try to get him the ball that way as well. I'd love to see that. And, yeah, you've seen a couple of plays out there at, at practice where it feels like there's a, there's a little more rollout being used where maybe that's the alternative option for Russ. He can either look downfield or you can give it off to either a tight end or Carson in the flat. So I, I, I hope that they throw him the football more. Yeah, he's got he's got really good hands. Now, if, if you're a linebacker and you see one of those other running backs come onto the field, how does it change the way, I guess, that you are keying a, an offense? Because I would imagine – if Rashad Penny's in or if Travis Homer's in or if somebody else, you're going to have different ideas about what the offense is about to do on the next play. Yeah, I would say, though, that with Chris Carson, he's, you really can't tell. Right, because, exactly. <laughs> give you a good, a good example, uh, Sean Alexander, you know, when he played for the Seahawks, I mean, he, he wasn't going to block anybody. And he is not going to try to run anybody over. And for some reason, he couldn't really catch but Sean Alexander could run the ball. So, I mean, when he was in, you knew it was going to be a run pretty much. So, um, you know, that I think Chris Carson is versatile enough where he can, he can do everything. And that's something he's shown us every year. You know, first it was, okay, this guy's a battering ram. 
then it was, oh man, he's got speed to get outside. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the hurdles and jumping over people and under, you know, remember the, the touchdown in uh, San Francisco in 2019 yeah. when Rabel called him down. And <laughs> I remember Pete was giving Rabel a hard time for that <laughs> because he, he kept his, put his forearm down, was able to crawl into, into the end zone. The other thing about Carson too, I meant to say is that you look at the, and this is the same thing with like Disley and tight ends. They're just easier throws. And so if you look at Carson, like his, his catch to target ratio is up there at like 80%, yeah. 80, 85%. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing. The other thing is just more easy throws and you get him out in space. So I, I think that'd be great if they used him that way. And uh, and I think that's that's probably what's going to happen because you know it just I keep saying this I hope this offense makes it easy for Russell on just a few of the throws. It just seemed like last year everything was so difficult for him, and I would love love to see him have like a little check down or you know a crossing tight end or whatever. So it's a nice easy throw in case something downfield's not open. And there does seem to be a concerted effort in practice for the Seahawks to work on those quick throws, getting the ball out quickly, which is good, even if it does result in on Wednesday what you saw, a rough day out of the offense. Let's shift over to the defensive side of things. You actually got the chance to catch up with Daryl Taylor, the Seahawks linebacker, who we've heard so many good things about, but we haven't really been able to see. You've got better eyes than me as far as what a linebacker is able to do. What have you been seeing out of Taylor? For me, I've noticed he's just really fast, but what is it that he is doing in that role that makes you excited or that maybe he needs to work on? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be a challenge for him. to. I'll, I'll be honest, I have not seen him play linebacker. A lot of times during practice, our show is going on, but I'm I'm going to watch him this weekend and see. You know, if, if what I want to see, all I, I care about as far as him playing linebacker, I want to see him drop into a zone. And how does he how does he do that? Because you know, man to man's pretty simple. You cover the guy wherever he goes, but zone is a little bit more, you know, nuanced. I, I guess you would say. I mean, there's lots of different things that you need to be looking at and you know i would like to see that but really all i care about with daryl taylor first of all he's a wonderful kid and we we talked to him he he's a great talker i love that when you get a, a player who you know even though he's young he's you know got lots of things to say and just a really really great kid but you know what i really want to see is i want to see him come off the edge you know that's really what they need him for so I mean they got plenty of they have plenty of linebackers and guys that can play out there, but you know we'll we'll see what happens there. I mean I, I think I think Cody Barton's probably the best linebacker as far as you know after Bobby Wagner and Jordan uh, Brooks, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll see. I mean that'll be certainly be a bonus if he if he's able to play linebacker as well. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one there too because if Barton's playing well and I know you've always been big on on Cody Barton. Do the Seahawks start off the season with Barden on the field, or should they go to the guy that they draft in the second round that he talked about as a first round pick at that strong side position? I'm I'm really curious to see how they handle that because it does seem like it would make more sense to have the guy who's ready to go, but maybe you want Taylor to play his way into understanding all those things that you were just laying out there, being better, just getting a little bit of experience, some seasoning, even if it maybe costs the Seahawks along the way, because you want this guy to actually get the experience necessary to get to his potential. Yeah. One, well, I think also you're asking kind of a lot of him because this is really yeah. his rookie year. I mean, he didn't get a chance to play and uh, at all 
and he's going to get preseason and all that. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm them and I, I don't know what, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he has just an uncanny ability. I'll say, you know, I said this all the time, Bruce Urban, the first time I saw him drop into his zone, that's kind of what I was talking about seeing from Daryl Taylor. I was really impressed. He, he did a really good job. Bruce Irvin had no interest, by the way, in playing linebacker, even though he was a really good linebacker. He had two pick sixes in the same year, and he didn't really care. All he wanted was sacks. And I asked Daryl Taylor that. I said, hey, interception or sack? And he goes, sacks get you paid. <laughs> yeah, I heard <laughs> I that. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think just early on, instead of putting all that on him, I'd like to just see him, you know, hey, Rush off the edge. I mean, that's pretty simple, pretty easy. I mean, sometimes there's adjustments when there's formations and, you know, shifts and stuff like that. But for the most part, you're coming off the edge. And that's where I would really, that's where I think, you know, his best, his best asset, if he could deliver this team, you know, anywhere from seven to 10 sacks, that would be, that would be great. He is Dave Wyman. Make sure you're tuned into Wyman and Bob later this afternoon at training camp. Dave, great to talk to you, and I'll see you in a couple hours. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Paul. That is Dave Wyman, everybody. Wyman and Bob coming up this afternoon at 2 o'clock before Mariners baseball against the New York Yankees. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. There was something that I saw last night that actually still makes me feel better about the Kendall Graveman trade. I know. You're probably sick of me killing this one. I don't care. This trade was a good one for the Mariners, and it was a smart one because of what I saw last night. I'll tell you what that is next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. Paul Gallant Show. Wow, that sounds awful. <clears throat> wow. We're going to try that again. You're almost done, Paul. That That's the first time it happened. That is the first time it happened. Please save that as a drop and keep it forever. That is the worst thing that I think has ever come out of my my mouth. It is the Paul Gallant Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. I have the allergies, and they are killing me, as you can hear. <laughs> wow, that was bad. So, the New York Yankees took down the Seattle Mariners 5-3 last night. 5-3. And it was a game where the Mariners took a late lead in the seventh inning. You heard that home run by Jared Kelnick. And you think to yourself, man, they, they're, they're going to do this, and they're going to do it because Jared Kelnick was clutch. And I'm feeling good about Jared Kelnick going forward out of this one. I feel like he's going to be exceptionally confident. But obviously things were not able to stay on top because when Paul Seawald came in, you did not get your traditional Paul Seawald performance in the seventh inning. And while he was able to, you know, Get into a situation where you thought, okay, maybe he's going to be able to get out of this inning. Yeah, he didn't, obviously. You know, he got the first two out, but then Aaron Judge singles, uh, Giancarlo Stanton singled, and then Joey Gallo hit that just bogus home run to right field. It was very frustrating how that one was able to go basically straight up in the air and drop down. But the Mariners had a chance. They had a chance in the ninth inning. In the ninth inning, Aroldis Chapman, he came in. And he stunk. And he hasn't been good for the Yankees for a while. And, you know, Danny and I were talking about it this morning. And one of the reasons that Aroldis Chapman hasn't been pitching so well of late, there are some 
some who suspect that maybe, just maybe, that he's one of those guys who has seen a massive drop from perhaps changes to things that you are allowed to put on baseballs, if you will. You know, the old Hector Santiago. He was wild, throwing all over the place there. And that is a guy who, not too long ago, the New York Yankees gave a three-year, $48 million extension to. Paul, I don't care about the Yankees. Why are you still talking about Aroldis Chapman? Here's why. Aroldis Chapman is the exact reason that you trade a 30-plus-year-old reliever like Kendall Graveman before his contract expires, and you definitely don't re-sign him. Three years and $48 million, and look at how he is pitching of late. It can leave you that quick if you're a reliever. You want other examples? I asked our baseball consigliere, Luke Arkins, who is a fantastic follow, who the best closers in baseball have been in a post-Mariano Rivera world. He gave me a couple. Kenley Jansen, Craig Kembrell, Zach Britton. Well, as far as those guys who are in their 30s, it has not been going so hot for them of late. Craig Kembrell has been good this year. But when he signed with the Cubs in 2019 and 2020, he was pretty shaky. He signed with them for three years and $43 million. Kenley Jansen, going into 2017, closer for the Dodgers, he signed a five-year, $80 million contract. He was 29 then. His first year in L.A. was really good. 2017, helped the Dodgers get to a World Series. Didn't do so well in those World Series. His ERA has been above three every single year since that one. He's getting paid, essentially, based off of the contract. And I know that if you take a look at the details, it is different year by year. But five years and $80 million for a closer. And he's no longer anywhere close to the guy that you gave him, that that you signed. Uh, Zach Britton, this year in New York. Three years and $39 million, he signed an extension as a reliever. His ERA this year is 6.35. This is not to say that every single reliever in their 30s when they sign is, to, is going to fail, but there's a very high probability of it. And I think Aroldis Chapman is further confirmation for Jerry DePoto that moving on from Kendall Graveman was the right move. And I know, yes, even on a night where Paul Sewell blows it, that's what my belief is. It would have been nice to have Graveman the rest of the year. It would have. But I think it's better to have Abraham Toro going forward. I'm Paul Galan. It's the Paul Galan Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. I, I actually don't even want to look at the text line to see what the reaction was to the uh, cat dying on the air not too long ago. So you can text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jacksboro and Company text line because we are the uh, most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. People think I sound like Colin Coward. Does Colin Coward sound like he's smoked out? I don't know about that one, man. Uh, text in. Paul's voice is bearable now. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, another text. Paul, allergies don't rhyme with COVID. It's not COVID, guys. Took the test. I thought it was that myself. I was like, oh, man, I got two vaccines, and all of a sudden, here I am dealing with all this nonsense. What a bummer. Uh, what else do we have here? 710-710 on the Mac and Checks Brewing Company text line. <laughs> Paul, going through puberty is awkward for everybody. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, one last text. This actually has to do with sports. Bullpens are almost a crapshoot every year. Our, pu- our pen wasn't anything anyone was talking about preseason. And look at them now. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. It, you never really can predict it. It's sort of like defense in the NFL. Year to year, you're not 100% sure what you're going to get. Guys, thanks for bearing with me. Thank you so much. 
I realize that. Well, actually, some of you guys probably liked it because <laughs> it wasn't quite as nasally or high pitched or loud for that matter. But I seriously appreciate you guys bearing with me. Uh, I'll be at a training camp with some more observations later. Post them on my Twitter at Galan says on YouTube and all that stuff so that you can see them. Uh, big thanks to Dave Lyman who stopped by earlier in the sports pit, and of course to Maura Dooley who is the absolute best. Thank you so much for keeping this thing afloat. I am merely Paul Galant. So long, farewell. You guys have yourselves a wonderful weekend.